Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I don't know if you've looked around, watched the news, looked at Instagram, Facebook, my book, your talk, TikTok, all the other things that are there, but there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world. And oftentimes we think, you know, God, what is happening? What is going on in the world? And today's message is a word from the Lord. If you ever hear me say that I preach a lot and I've been preaching a lot over the last, this year will be my 50th year. Some of my first messages were preached right here in this building almost 50 years ago. But I could tell you that God is always up to something. He's always up to something. I love what Dr. Darius Daniels, our favorite traveling speaker says. He says, when God is doing nothing, he's doing something. And when God is doing something, he's doing something. Which means whether you see it or not, God is always, he is always doing something. When our nation began, it began based upon a biblical worldview. Say that with me, biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? Certain things are right and certain things are wrong because? Do you know that most of the laws that we began our nation on were based on the word of God? How many of you know that? They they, they were. The second phase of our country began in the mid-1950s through to the 1980s, and that was not a biblical worldview, but it was an abiblical worldview. It was a worldview of values and standards, but without the Word of God. It was during this time that prayer was taken out of the public schools. Remember when we had prayer and didn't have guns? Remember? Everybody always wonders when a crisis or a shooting or a tragedy happens and say, where is God? Can I tell you where he is? You ever lost something? You know where it is, right where you left it. And when we moved God out, everything else came in. And in an abiblical worldview, an abiblical worldview says certain things are right and certain things are wrong because society says so. Mom and daddy say so. You better not smoke that marijuana. You better not get pregnant and embarrass our whole family. From the 1980s until 2000, we moved into another phase in our country, and that was an immoral worldview. And immorality says certain things are right and certain things are wrong, but I don't care. I don't care. And finally, we arrived at where we are today. In amorality, a worldview of amorality. If the biblical worldview says certain things are right and certain things are wrong because the Bible says so, if an abiblical worldview is certain things are right, certain things are wrong because society says so, if an immoral worldview is certain things are right and certain things are wrong, but I don't care, Pastor, what is amorality? There's no such thing as right or wrong. And how dare you try to push your religion and values on me? 
There's not only no such thing as right or wrong, there's not even any such thing as a male or a female. How, how many of you know, as, as crazy as we think this is, it's not new. It was Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the son of David, who said uh, about 3,000 years ago, there's nothing new under the sun. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, there was a time like that where there were no leaders. And here's what the scripture says. In those days, there was no king in Israel, no authority, no one to speak for God. And everyone did what? Whatever they wanted. Does that sound like today? Have you ever wondered how intelligently well-educated smart people can make such stupid decisions? I, I, I watched at a hearing someone who had a doctor degree ask this question, what is a woman? Do you know for years, when, back when Dr. Mahoney and I were preaching out at UL, I would stand up and preach on the free speech alley and he would stand in front of me and if someone would come and stand beside him, he would go, what do you think of that guy? And they go, he's crazy. And he would go, I, I think so too. And then if someone, you know, he would, he would, he would start witnessing to them. But back in, in, in those days, okay, you, you would look at people and, and, and they would make decisions, but they would make it at that time, you were young and you're stupid. But have you seen well-educated, intelligent people who can't even answer the basic questions of life that your mama and papa? What do you think your papa would say? What do you think a woman is? <laughs> Me, you don't know? <laughs> Let me help you. You came from one. Your mama's one. Your mama is one. Imagine some poor soul going to sleep in 1980 like Rumpelstiltskin and waking up today. And then have you ever observed uneducated, simple people making wise, intelligent decisions? Is it really, it's really not that very hard to understand. Each person makes their decisions based upon how they view the world, your worldview. Your worldview is the belief that you build your life on, your values on. It's the reason why you don't lie or steal. It's the reason why you can give your word and you mean it. Your worldview reveals how you see God, yourself, and even other people. It includes your perspective on all of life and reveals what you are, who you are, and what you value. It's your view on money. If you tithe, you know what that means? You believe that you're going to die and go to a place and that you're storing up treasure in heaven. You just believe that. You just believe that. If you live sexually pure, it's because you, you believe that there is a God that's watching. If you don't hit up on porn, a re you believe that even if nobody else is watching, somebody's watching. All of that is your worldview. We all ultimately make decisions based upon what our values are or our worldview. The real challenge comes when we recognize that by the time we are born again, 
How many of you gave your life to Christ after you were 20? Raise your hand. 30, raise your hand. 40, raise your hand. 50. But what took you so long? No. <laughs> okay. By that time, you have a whole set of values that you've already established that are not built upon the Word of God. As a matter of fact, instead of having a biblical world view, you have the world's view. What's right and wrong, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what you should say, what you should do with your money, what you think about sexuality. Today's message is entitled, The World's View or The Word's View. A recent survey was done of Americans, and 62% of them said they were deeply spiritual. Those deeply spiritual people were asked this question. How does your spirituality affect your decision-making? Your decision-making. Lying, stealing, purity, money. Here's what they said. 31% of them said, I make my moral decisions on what feels right and comfortable. In other words, what feels right about my money, what feels right about sex, what feels right about lying, what feels right about stealing. How many of you know feelings change? And if you build your life on feelings, then your values are always going to be changing. 18% of them said, I make my moral decisions based on what's best for me. 14% said, I make my moral choices on whatever causes the least amount of conflict with others. Only 16% said, I make my moral decisions based upon what God and his word have to say. In other words... Out of a hundred Christians, 16 of them said, I don't have the views of the world, I have the view of the word. Only 16% said, I make my moral decisions on what God says. So what does that mean, pastor? That means that many born again believers have a non-biblical worldview. They don't see the world the way God does. Can I tell you this? When you get born again, how many remember you, you were forgiven? How many remember that? The first sense you felt was like you were forgiven. Raise your hand. Okay. Can, can I tell you this? That's what happens to you spiritually. But you know what happens to your mind? All these things that have been programmed in. Everybody, every, anybody ever got an old phone or an old computer from somebody? The first thing you got to do is delete everything that was there. And the first thing the Bible says that we need to do when we're born again is renew our mind and begin to gain the words, the words view instead of my old world view. Let me give you a few of the vast arrays of worldviews. The number one worldview in our country is materialism. Materialism says what matters most is money, possessions, stuff. Life is about the acquisition of things, and the person who has the most things will be the happiest. One bumper sticker said it like this, he who dies with the most toys wins. Someone else had another bumper sticker, and it says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> Jesus gave the opposite opinion. He gave a different worldview. 
In Luke 12, Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of what? Possessions. In other words, your your valuables don't determine your value. Your net worth is not your self-worth. You are not your stuff. You're not your stuff. Here's the second worldview, and really the most prominent one today, hedonism. Hedonism. Hedonism is the worldview that says whatever feels good is good. If you actually ask Siri, Siri, what's the definition of hedonism? You know what Siri will tell you? Siri knows everything, you know, right? Siri will tell you the definition of hedonism is that the chief end of life is your personal pleasure. If you're living for pleasure, then you're living to please your feelings or your emotions. In hedonism, pleasure is God. Is it any wonder why we worship sex? Is it any wonder why we worship food? You do realize that half of the world is starving to death and 60% of Americans are overweight. The Old Testament says it like this, our bellies become our God. We live to please ourselves. If your number one goal in life is to make life pleasurable or comfortable versus to be in right relationship with God and others, you're a hedonist. Solomon, the wisest man and wealthiest man that ever lived, said this, are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never what? It's never satisfied. This was the wisest and wealthiest man that ever lived. He didn't say that because he didn't have anything. He said that because he tried everything. Here's the third worldview, individualism. In materialism, money is God and things. In hedonism, pleasure is God. In individualism, I am God. You say, Pastor, I would never say that I am God. Are your values and your decisions based on what you think? Or what God says? Have you ever talked to people that tell you that they don't agree with you? And you go, well, well, okay, well, this is what the word says. Why don't you believe that? Well, my cousin from Bro Bridge said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm talking about God's word and you're talking about your cousin from Bro Bridge who got dropped out of LSU after his freshman year? Individualism says, I'm looking out for number one. If I don't look out for myself, who will? It's in advertising. Have it your way. We do it all for you. You deserve a break today. Think of yourself. It's all about you. Obey your thirst. God never created you to live for yourself. That's why the people who do so are so miserable. The most miserable, depressed people I know are selfish people. Can I tell you something that might shock you? Nicest place in in Lafayette and Acadiana is called River Ranch. There are more miserable people in River Ranch than in any trailer park in all of New Iberia. (laughs) I'm telling you, I pastor them. I pastor them. The Christian worldview says in Proverbs 18.1, it is selfish and it is stupid to only, what? Think of yourself. 
Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16. If anyone desires to come after me, how many think Jesus was happy? How many think Jesus was fulfilled? How many think Jesus had good relationship with God and with people? Okay. If anyone desires to come after me, let him. What? That's the exact opposite of the world. Think of yourself first. Deny himself then. Come on, say it loud. Okay, you're a Christian. Okay, take up your. And then, do you know why it doesn't just say take up your cross or follow me? Everybody wanted to follow Jesus. Everybody didn't want to deny themselves. Everybody didn't want to. Jesus isn't asking you to die on the cross. He's asking you to take up your cross. He's asking you to take up your cross. And then and only then can you follow him. Because what we have today is many people that claim to be Christians and they've yet to deny themselves. And they've yet to be willing to take up the cross. And they can't figure out why they're born again believers and they read the Bible and they listen to their daily devotionals for three minutes and they're still as miserable as the people that don't know Christ. Because Christianity begins with self-denial. Jesus went into a place with his disciples and everywhere they went. Of course, he was the special guest, so they always put out their best. So Jesus was going to a place to eat with his disciples. You know, they'd been cooking dinner for two days to get get Jesus there. And when Jesus arrived there, it was typical. When you went to someone's home, they had the lowliest servant sitting out front. And he had a big, big pot of water, and he would wash your feet. He'd take off your sandals and wash your feet so that when you went in that, that you wouldn't bring dust into the floor. You, you know they were decided about to wash Jesus' feet. And so when they get there, they go to wash Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, no, you can step aside. Get, give me your towel and give me your bucket. And then he kneels down like this and he says, okay, I'm going to wash your feet to his disciples. And his disciples go, wait, 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 Jesus, you're not going to do that. And you know, Peter, the disciple with a foot-shaped mouth, looked at him. He says, Lord, Lord, you, 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 you're not going you know, to wash my feet. And he says, okay, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then I have nothing to do with you. And he said, then give me a shower. Just shut up and give me your foot. And after it gets through washing all the disciples' feet and serving them, listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 17. If you know these things, that's him serving. Happy are you if you... Do you know why... It's so exciting to see when I saw almost 200 of you in Generet High School serving and then see all those serving there. Can I tell you who was the most blessed? You think the school was the most blessed? You know who the most blessed was? The people that served. The people that served. That's who the most blessed was. That day when y'all were at Generet, I brought a man who's been incredibly generous to our church and to you. You don't even know him. He sold his company years ago for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I took him around and showed him all the SERP projects. And when we got to Generet, and he looked and he said, Pastor, this is a long ways from New Iberia. I said, yeah. But that's where the parish wanted us to go to serve the school. He was so pleased. He was so excited. We weren't looking at a yacht. We weren't looking at a new plantation. We were looking at sweaty, stinky, Cajun people in a poor school. 
Happy are you if you do these things. You were created by God to love him and to serve others and to reveal his love to the world around you. And when you do that, you are the most fulfilled and pleased in life. You are. Here's the fourth one, collectivism. We are moving quickly towards that in our country. We call it socialism. Collectivism says government is God. It basically says that the government should control everything. And now there's nothing wrong with government. Good government was created by God. God told Moses how to lead and guide the people. God created government. Here's the institutions God created. The family, the church, and government. But even though God invented government, when people don't know God, they try to replace God with government. What's the biblical purpose of government? To protect freedom, to ensure justice, and to preserve peace. Jesus explained the limited role of government when he said this in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one: Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. The problem comes when Caesar begins to demand what belongs to God. How do I do that, pastor? What am I supposed to do in regards to government? Number one, I owe my respect to elected officials and my prayers. How many of you know President Biden needs our prayers? How many of you know our parish president needs our prayers? How many of you know every state senator, if you voted for them or not, they need our prayers. They need our prayers. Well, pastor, what, 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 is, what is God's then? Now, I want you to listen to this because this is really profound. There are only two things on earth that restrain evil from overtaking the earth. You know what it is? The first one is inside. It's the law of God on our hearts. It's the Lord. The second one is the actual law. Police, sheriff department, law enforcement. Do you know why I know that's why there's so much evil on the earth today? Because there is a war that has taken God out of every realm of influence in public life. And now there is a war on the law. And the only thing that can possibly happen is for lawlessness to overtake the earth. So what is God's, Pastor? My life? Psalms 24 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all those who live in it. Look at me. Who made you? Say loud. Who made you? Let's go guess who you belong to. You belong to God. You, you belong to God. You were created in his image. You're the only thing created in his image. Dogs weren't created in his image. You might act like a dog sometimes. Dogs were not created in the image of God. The only thing that was created in the image of God was you and me. You and me. So pastor, what is the word's view? Romans 12, 1 says this, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourself to God and be his sacred, what? Living sacrifice and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights his heart. For this becomes your what? Genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed, what? By the Holy Spirit through a total transformation of 
how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will and you will live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. To do that, when you become born again, you got to take this book and you got to renew your mind. When I became a Christian, people looked at me and go, man, you know what happened to you, Jacob? You got brainwashed. And you know what I said to them? Look right here, daddies. If you knew it was in my brain, so did yours. Don't be, I'm not the only one who was thinking like a pervert. You were too, don't lie. My mind had to be renewed. And your mind has to be renewed. We're born with a sinful nature. And if I don't renew my mind, it's like a card of a line. I pull towards the ditch to the darkest things of life. What is a biblical worldview, Pastor? In a biblical worldview, the first question I ask when making a moral choice is, what does God want me to do? How do I know what that is, Pastor? Listen carefully. There is one answer to what does God want me to do? Is it how you feel? Is it what you think? Is it, you know, I just have this compassion. I just have this inner feeling. I sat with a very high elected official recently who is about to endorse a perverse lifestyle. And he said, Pastor, he said, I I just have compassion for these people. And I looked at him and said, do you think you're more compassionate than God? Do you think you're more compassionate than God? So a biblical worldview is seeing life from God's perspective through his holy, eternal, infallible word. His word has never changed in thousands of years. And one day you will stand before him and this word and be judged by it. You'll be judged by it. I'll be judged by it. Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25 says, and the Lord commanded us to observe these statutes to fear the Lord our God for are good so that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we carefully observe all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So a biblical worldview is seeing life from God's perspective through his holy, eternal, infallible word, the word's view. His word has never changed and it's not going to change now. Now strap in because in the last six or seven minutes, I'm going to challenge a lot of your views. And you may be tempted to get up and walk out. And if you do, we'll know why. So let's look at some examples of the world's view versus the word's view. Number one, the sanctity of life. The world's view. It's a private choice made between a woman, her doctor, to decide the outcome of her unborn fetus. That's the world's view. What's the word's view? At the moment of conception, it's not a fetus. It's a human created in the image of the living God. In the image of the living God. Psalms 39, verse 13. Oh, yes, you shaped me from the inside and then out. 
You formed me in my... I thank you, high God, your breathtaking body and soul. I'm marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know me, every bone in my body. You knew exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life are prepared before I'd ever lived one day. In the Word's view, it's not a choice, it's a child. In the Word's view, it's not a liberty, it's a life. 60 million babies have been aborted in our nation since Roe versus Wade in 1973. That is almost 20% of the entire population of our country. Let me ask you a question. If America attacked an innocent country and killed 40 million people, would we be guilty? How long will God tolerate this? This is not a political issue. Look at me. This is a biblical issue from start to finish. We were not made by government. We were made by God, and only God himself can decide that. Pastor, what if if I had an abortion? Listen carefully to me. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. We're all here because of the grace of God. Each week, they send all of our message to all the Lafayette Parish Correctional facilities. All the people in jail, all the correctional facilities are listening to the message. Can I tell you something? You know what the difference is between them and us? Some of us didn't get caught. Is that true? Good. We're videoing this and we're sending this to the sheriff's department. We get through a lot of unsolved crime. We need to know. Hey, if you've had an abortion, ask God to forgive you. He doesn't forgive some sin. He forgives all sin. And the fact that you need to be forgiven of something does not change the fact that it is defined by God as a life. Receive God's forgiveness in his grace. Receive it. Receive it. And then know that one day you're going to be reunited with that precious gift from God in heaven. Secondly, the sanctity of sex. The world's view, sex is a private and personal choice. An adult should be able to be with whoever they choose to be with as long as the other is willing and consenting. The world's view. Let me remind you who created sex. God. And each time two people are involved together, the Bible has said it to become one. There is an actual chemical that's released in the brain that bonds you to someone. Do you know why some people stay in abusive relationships and can't get out? They don't know, but there is a spiritual tie between them and that person. The Bible calls it a soul tie. A soul tie. This is why God says in Hebrews 13, 13.4, let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, and of a great price, and especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage bed be undefiled, kept undishonored. For God will judge and 
the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adultery. And that includes premarital sex. If you're living with someone and not married, repent. Say, Pastor, I can't afford to get married. You can't afford not to please God. We will marry any person in this church or any of our churches for absolutely free. So you got a free preacher and a free church. Are you ashamed to give her your last name or you just don't want the blessings of God on your life? Because we will do it for absolutely free. All sex outside of marriage in any fashion or form is a sin that grieves the living God, robs that person's future mate, and defies the God who made you. Number three, the sanctity of marriage. The world's view. If two people of the same sex love each other, then why should they not be allowed to share their lives together in marriage? just like any other married couple. The words view. The Bible is very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman for, if you've been divorced, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Thank God that he forgives the sin of divorce. The words view. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Genesis 2.21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, part of his side, he closed it up, that place, his flesh, and the rib which the Lord had taken from the side of man, he'd taken from man, he built up and made into a... And he brought her to the man. And then Adam said, This creature is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become united and cleave to his wife and they shall become in all of known history the Jews have 5,000 years of written history the Chinese have 3,000 years of known history and in all of known history, marriage has never been considered anything but between a man and a woman until we had a president that decided that was not true. Lit up the White House in the gay flag. Look at me. I wouldn't vote for my daddy if he did that. I wouldn't vote for my brother if he did that. And for the first time in all of known humanity, all of known humanity, God has the copyright on marriage. He created it and he alone gets to define it. When the government tries to hijack God's creation, Caesar is demanding what belongs to God and only God. The word says, Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. 1 Corinthians 6.9 says, do you not know that the unrighteous and wrongdoers will not inherit any share of the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived or misled. Neither the impure, the immoral, the idolater, the adulterer, nor those who participate in homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. You say, Pastor, don't you think that's cruel? I want you to look right here. I have relatives that are lesbians. I have relatives that are homosexual. I minister every week to a lesbian lady that hugs me and says, you're the closest thing to a daddy I've ever had in my life. I'm not saying what I'm saying today on a tear. I'm saying what I'm saying today with a tear in my eye. Because most of these people were broken, molested, abused, had horrible examples growing up. If you think this generation has tattoos all over their arm, you are to see the scars on their heart from the fathers that left them and the mothers that abandoned their home. It's true. It's true. There is a war on the creator of life, God, from him being moved from all public sector. There's a war on the definition of life, abortion, when it begins. There's a war on the procreation and the institution that's to create life and nurture it, marriage in the family. And now the next thing that's coming is called euthanasia. And that's where people decide, I want to die. And so they take a chemical. People are doing that right now. They're going to Europe right now. A 23-year-old did it just the other day to take their own life. Why? Because if it all begins and ends with you, you get to decide because whoever it begins with, it ends with. Whoever it begins with, it ends with. Pastor, what, what, what must I do to have a biblical worldview? What must I do? Number one, accept God's word as my final authority. You see, Pastor, you're saying that because you're a preacher. Look right here. My daddy was married five times. My four sisters were pregnant 13, 14, and 15. My nieces and nephews are married to strippers, have been strippers, and are lesbian, gay, and everything else. What I'm telling you today is not because I've been raised in church and I figured that out. I'm telling you because I've lived out there. I've seen what happens out there. I've seen the pain and the heartbreak and the heartache. That's why. I'm not a holy church choir boy. I didn't start there. My mama was a barmaid, had 42 breasts, had a pistol in one part of her bra and her money in the other side. That was the life that I knew. Many people think the judgment of God is God doing something terrible to you. You know what the judgment of God is? The judgment of God is God no longer restraining you and leaving a group of people to do what they want to do that's in their heart. And when they start living with the consequences of it, they call it the judgment of God. But all it's been is God backing up saying, you want your own way, take it. How's that going, America? America. 
How's it going? I must accept God's word. Pastor, I have friends that, 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 are, that are gay and I love them. I do too. I have a son that's far from God. Far from God. My God, I, I know that he's going to come to the Lord before it's over. But I'm not altering God's word because my son's not where he's supposed to be. He's got to alter his life to come into alignment with this so that he will be where I ultimately know he's going to be because the promise of God says, me and my household. I must accept God's word. Listen to me. You're not more compassionate than God. You're not more compassionate than God. I'm not more compassionate than God. Have you ever made a decision you thought was a good decision and then in the end thought, that was really stupid? Raise your hand. You know the difference between you and God is he's the alpha and the omega. He knows the beginning from the end. So when he tells you at the beginning, you can rest assured it's going to end just like he said it would. Here's the second thing we need to do. Align my actions and my will with God's word. Look at me. This isn't always easy. It's not. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you it's easy. I'm not. When I gave my life to Christ, my dad kicked me out. I moved to my mom's bar and served beer every day when I came home from school. Every day. I look back on it now. It was normal to me then. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But God's grace was sufficient and his grace will be sufficient for you, your daughter, your loved one, your son, your child, whomever it may be that you love. Align my actions with God's word and God's will. Here's the third thing. Repent of the areas where I've held views that are in opposition to God's word. I just need to look and go, Father, forgive me. I I thought this way all along, but your word says I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Either you're wrong or God's wrong. And who's ever right, you have to submit to their word and to their will. And then finally, stand with God's word and God's family, the church. You say, Pastor, my family doesn't know the Lord. I understand When I was born again, you've heard me say this, Jesus saved my soul, but the church of Jesus saved my life. I walked in, you know who became my family? You did. You say, is that biblical? Listen to what Jesus said when they said his family was coming. Your mom and and them are here to see you, Jesus. Jesus said, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, this is my brother and my sister and my father. How many of you are closer to spiritual family than you are to blood family? Raise your hand. Of course you are. Some of you are very blessed to have blood family that is spiritual family. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I never had that for the first 30 years of my Christian life. And 20 years ago, my siblings started getting born again. It only took 30 years. But I had a family in the church. 
the ladies with gray hair adopt. It was like adopt a Mexican hoodlum week. They loved on me. They took us in. They bought me clothes. They cooked for me. They supported me when I started preaching. They... God understands your situation. Church, in this dark world, we need to know how to stand on the Word of God and to have a biblical world view. How many of you say, Pastor, that's what I want? Come on, raise your hand. How many of you can say, Pastor, I have a lot of people that I love that are not under the covering of this Word? Raise your hand. Come on. I do too. I'm with you. But you know what? That's why God put you in their life. That's why God put you in their life. Because God promises that what they're building their life on is going to begin to crumble. And when it does, if you're still standing there on that word, the same place, the same way, not wavering, not moving, guess where they're going to run? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If that's what you desire, would you just, just lay your hands out on your lap, just wide open, just like this. Heavenly Father, today, We come before you because our heart's desire is to be men and women of God. To not just say we're your children, but to actually be your children. Every every one of us know people that we've said over and over, that's just like their daddy, that's just like their mama. Today, make us true reflections of who you are. As Pastor Obed preached last week, make us two true reflections. We can be standard bearers and not be critical. We can love truth and not hate people. We can love you and love righteousness and not compromise and still speak your truth in love. Today. Today. Father, that's what we ask for. You said when a a lamp is lit, it's not lit to be hidden, but to set upon a hill. Lord, make us lights in this dark world. 